It was 36 years ago today, on October 15th, 1981, that the wave began. Actually, there's some debate about whether or not this was the first wave, but it was the first recorded wave at a playoff game between the Yankees and the A's, and this guy, Crazy George Henderson, a professional cheerleader, got the whole crowd to stand up and lift up their arms in this motion that became known as the wave. And when people saw highlights of it, it became a nationwide, actually a worldwide phenomenon. When you would go to uh, sporting events or concerts, everyone wondered, are we going to try to do the wave? When will we do the wave? And it's still going strong 36 years later to the joy of some and the chagrin of others. When will this thing actually end? Actually, the wave was such a phenomenon, they started keeping track of records as it uh, was associated with the wave. So at Bristol Motor Speedway in Tennessee at a NASCAR race, they tried to set the record for the most number of people to do the wave at one time, 168,000 people. At a soccer match in Japan, they tried to set the record for the longest amount of time people continuously did the wave. They did it for 17 minutes and 14 seconds because really there's nothing to watch at a soccer game, so you might as well, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, actually, science got involved in the wave, right? And so there was a scientist in Hungary. He gathered a team of researchers together, and they became wave experts. And here's what uh, some of their research uncovered. They actually published this in a scholarly kind of way. Waves almost always roll clockwise, and waves move at a speed of around 20 seats per second. Uh, waves are 6 to 12 meters or 15 seats wide. As they looked at all of these waves in stadiums, they started to see these kinds of similarities. But here's what I want us to focus in on today. This research uh, uh, about waves discovered waves are generated by no more than a few dozen people, standing up simultaneously and subsequently expands through the entire crowd. So pay attention to what they're really saying here. A wave is started by a small group of people, maybe a dozen, maybe 12 people. Uh, they've got a common mission, a common purpose. They're united around that. They carry it out together, and it, eventually the wave touches everybody. Sounds a little bit like the church, doesn't it? Read this verse with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, after his death and resurrection, says to his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there and eventually I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says to them. Read it with me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This verse, Acts 1 verse 8, it's a real foundational verse for us here at Hope. We absolutely believe this is what God has called us to do. This is who God has called us to be. We're supposed to be a church, a congregation, a community of people who ride the waves of the Holy Spirit because it's good for us and it's good for the people around us. Uh, that clip we watched at the beginning of the message is from that classic romantic comedy, When Harry Met Sally. Harry is played by Billy Crystal and his best friend Jess, played by Bruno Kirby. They go to this football game and they're having a conversation about some of the hard things that are going on in Harry's life. And in the midst of this tough conversation, the stadium starts to do the wave. And so they stand up and they throw their hands in the air and 
They sit back down all while having this conversation about how Harry's life has fallen apart all around him. And it's a reminder to me we don't always know what's going on in someone's life, what's going on in their marriage, what's going on in their family, their, their key relationships. And you meet maybe at a sporting event or a concert or walking the halls of your school or at the store and people are in conversations and maybe they're smiling and maybe they're even laughing, but that does not mean everything is good, everything's fine. And you can come to a church, come to a, a church like Hope maybe especially, and you can look around and say, man, everybody's got it all, so they're just put together. Their sweater vests are actually perfect. I mean, they're so good look. In fact, turn to somebody close to you and just tell them, Billy Crystal used to say this, you look marvelous. Go ahead and tell someone close to you, you look marvelous, darling, marvelous. If you don't know the person you're sitting next to, introduce yourself first. Then say, you look marvelous, because you really do. I mean, you are a good-looking church. You are a talented church. You have accomplished, you've accomplished a lot as a church. You've got a lot going for you as a church. And you've got a lot going against you. This church, the people of this church, are not immune from the hard things in life. It's hard to be married. It's hard to be single. It's hard to be a parent, and it's hard to have parents. And then there's all sorts of things that happen in life, infertility and infidelity and illness and job loss, death, all sorts of things that happen in this life that kind of rob us of our hope. And so we gather together every weekend for worship, and part of the reason we do this is to be reminded there's always this new wave, there's this renewing movement of God to renew our hope. Pastor Mike has been talking about it the last couple of weeks. There's a bunch of us who are believing it and sensing it and feeling it and praying for it. Revival is coming. We, we've been talking about every time we gather together for worship, what do we say? We're glad you're here. We believe it's no accident you're here. We've been praying for you. And it's not just a line. This is actually what we do. And in fact, over the last couple of months, we've been trying to up our prayer game because we believe God is on the move, just like the choir sang about. And we want to be able to ride this wave wherever God might be taking us, whatever it might mean for us. God is on the move in all sorts of ways, and part of what we're praying for is for the vision God has given us to be recognized right here among us. So let's remind ourselves what our vision is here at Hope. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. To be a spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. One more time. To be a spirited, growing, and Christ-centered community filled with hope. We believe as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and God helps us become this kind of a community, there's going to be a ripple effect. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's a ripple effect. What's a ripple? It's a small wave. And, and a ripple has movement to it. And the movement is always outward. We believe God is calling us to be a community, a movement of hope, a wave of hope. This college football season, the sporting world has been introduced to a whole new way of doing the wave, and it started right here in Iowa. Take a look. They came to the 12th floor for a gesture, or a motion, or a sign but they received something more, a moment. It's almost like a wave of hope, like you're not in this on your own. 
It's a salute to those kids and to their, their parents and the family members. It just kind of brings it all home, what is important. It started September 2nd. It's time to start a new tradition here at Kinnick. And let's give a big Hawkeye wave to all the kids watching the game. A new tradition where Iowa fans at the end of the first quarter turn away from the field at Kinnick Stadium and wave to those watching from across the street. Patients looking down from the Stead Family Children's Hospital. One of the faces they might see in those windows was Daxon Fippen, 17 years old, fighting to recover from cranial surgery. Even during the whole surgery, I was super calm. I thought he's going to go in, he's going to come out. And then he came out and he couldn't dress, he couldn't get out of bed, he couldn't use his hands. And I had a lot of fear. If you've been around Hope for very long, you know I love my Hawkeyes, but you may not know that uh, that hospital, the Children's Hospital in Iowa City, is a pretty important place in our family's life. Our most recent visits to the hospital were for our daughter Saffron. She was uh, deaf when she was born, and so we went through the process in Iowa City of getting cochlear implants for her, and it's just been an incredible, almost miraculous kind of gift for uh, Saffron and for our family. Uh, that wasn't our first trip to Iowa City to go to the hospital. Uh, we actually celebrated our daughter Kylie's third birthday on the roof of the hospital in Iowa City, not because Kylie was sick, but because her little brother Shaden was. Uh, Shaden was born in Davenport, and they rushed him right into a NICU in that hospital as they tried to figure out what was wrong with him. When they finally figured it out, we were sent to Iowa City where he had a surgery, uh, an emergency surgery, when he was five days old. And so because he was recovering from that surgery and we were at the hospital, that's where we had uh, Kylie's birthday party. Uh, that surgery worked great for Shaden, and we went home, and then eight weeks later, I was putting him in the crib at, at bedtime, and I looked in his eye, and I could not make out a pupil. His eye was just this gray, kind of hazy, almost zombie-like looking thing, and I showed it to Wendy, and we were both pretty scared. And I loaded Shaden into the car, and we drove to the ER, and the prayer on the way to the doctor was, Lord, I do not know how to be a dad to a son who is blind. I'm going to need your help here. We found out he had congenital glaucoma, number one leading cause of blindness in kids. And so again, they sent us to the University of Iowa Children's Hospitals, and he had three very risky surgeries. Every time he went in for surgery, they said, if anything goes wrong, there's a chance he's going to lose his vision. The third surgery that he had happened four days after I interviewed in Ankeny uh, to become a pastor at Hope. And they said, we'll get in touch with you within a week or two. We didn't have any idea when they would call us. And so Shaden was in surgery. Wendy and I are in the waiting room waiting to see if the surgery worked. And the phone rings. And it was Hope calling to say they wanted me to come and be the pastor here. So that hospital is a pretty important place uh, in our life. When I watched that video, a couple of phrases uh, stood out to me. One, that mom, her name was Lori Fippen. Uh, she said, when the crowd turns in waves at the end of the first quarter, she said, it's a wave of hope. A wave of hope. And it's not just kids or families in a children's hospital who could use a wave of hope, is it? This world could use a wave of hope. This world could use Jesus. This world could use revival. And so Jesus says to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You'll tell everyone about me everywhere. 
And then it actually happens. I mean, think, think about the power of what happened. These 12 disciples, they were scared to death after Jesus' death. They were waiting in that room for the Holy Spirit to get poured out, but they were worried that the Romans are going to come and do to them what they had done to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit gets poured out in Acts chapter 2, and their faith overcomes their fear, and out they go. This movement outward, this ripple effect, this wave of hope. And within 300 years, Christianity goes from being non-existent to the most powerful force in the world. Now, just because there were a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of churches within 300 years, there was still a need for revival. And what we've seen throughout church history is in every generation, there's this new outpouring, this fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And revival happens again and again and again. We're in a message series called Here We Stand, working our way up to the 500th anniversary of a revival that we call the Reformation. To think about what was going on when the Reformation happened. The church was again very powerful, lots of churches, lots of Christians, lots of power and wealth associated with the church, and a revival was needed. And it happened. God poured out his spirit in a fresh way, and it changed things. It changed the church, and it changed the world. Every generation needs revival. Every church needs revival. A new, a fresh wave of hope. The second thing that I picked up on in, in that clip we watched. Lori Fippen says when Daxon comes out of that surgery, she was pretty much okay up until that point. And then when he can't move his hands and he can't dress himself, she says, I had a lot of fear. Of course she did. There's probably something wrong with you if you're a parent or a spouse or a family member or a friend of someone who's in the hospital and you don't have some fear that's going along with that. This world's a pretty scary place. All sorts of dangerous things and risky things and lots of things that cause us to be afraid and to feel fear. And that's when we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God's word. Jesus says to his disciples, he knows they're scared. He says, I'll never leave you. I am with you always. God's perfect love casts out all fear. Uh, my first worship service at Hope was November of 2006, and 137 people showed up for worship, and that may not sound like a lot to you, but man, it felt huge to me. I had come from a church of about 40 people, and you know, Wendy and I would go home after church, and we would say, yeah, but this couple wasn't here, and that family was on vacation, so really, it was 50. It was more like 50. And Hope Ankeny had been worshiping for about eight months at that time. That fall, the average attendance was 94, and so 137 was, was quite a bump. We were all kind of excited. And one of the first things that I had to do as the leader of that congregation, we were worshiping on Saturdays at 4.30 at Resurrection Lutheran Church, just down Ash Street from here. And we were convinced we needed to get to Sunday mornings. If we were really going to carry out the mission that God had given us, we needed to have service on Sunday morning. And so one of my first tasks as a leader was to convince our small congregation that we needed to move out of a church and into a middle school cafeteria for worship. And it was not an easy sell. I mean, at Resurrection, we had pews. I mean, it was great. At Resurrection, we had rooms where we could do, uh, we called it KQ back then, Kingdom Quest. Hope Kids is what we call it now. Uh, we had rooms where we could have the nursery. We had a kitchen with a sink and running water so we could make coffee because you can't have worship without coffee right? At the school, at the middle school, we didn't have access to any of those things. And we, we had to buy what seemed like this huge investment, a five foot by eight foot trailer 
that we could load all of our audio and video equipment into and gates for children's ministry and these soft padded things for the nursery so if the kids tumbled down, they wouldn't get hurt too bad. And then we were like freak out mode. Who's going to do all of this? Who's going to get it over to the school and unload it and load it back up after worship? And I'm telling you, people were like, what is happening? There was a little bit of panic amongst the troops. And so one Saturday at worship in the sanctuary, we passed a clipboard around. Some of you remember that. And we asked people if you would be willing to help even one weekend a month with emptying out that five-foot by. I, I laugh about it because at the end of our eight years in the school, we had a 25-foot trailer and a truck, and it was all full of all kinds of stuff. But, man, we had 80 people sign up to say they'd be willing to help, more than half the church. It was incredible. Our first Sunday morning in uh, the school, it was called Northview Middle School then, Prairie Ridge Middle School now. We had over 200 people show up in March of 2007. We were ecstatic. And two months later, when the school year was winding down, I gathered the leadership team together. I think they were all volunteers at that point. Maybe we had hired Amy to be helping in, in children's ministry by then. But it was almost all volunteers. And I said, here's your assignment for the summer. You need to double the size of your teams because we're going to add a second worship service in September. And they looked at me and they said, no, that's a terrible idea. They didn't actually say that, at least not in that meeting. But the meeting after the meeting, I bet they were saying that because they were thinking, come on, why would we? We're just starting to get to know everybody. Why do you want to divide us? And besides that, we were worshiping at 10 o'clock which is the perfect time to worship on Sunday morning. You can sleep in, have service, and even if the pastor is long-winded, you still get home in time for kickoff. Now, if it's 9, 15, and 11, we've got to choose. Do we give up sleeping in or do we give up the football game? It's an awful idea. And how are we going to get enough volunteers for two services of Hope Kids or two services of nursery? Because the nursery was all volunteers at that point too. A lot of questions, a lot of head-scratching, but somehow over the course of that summer... They carried out the assignment, and they built their teams, and we started that second service, and in September, by October, we had doubled to over 400 people showing up for worship. It was a God thing. It was a wave of hope. But don't miss out on one of the real important pieces. When you think about the story of this congregation, here's part of the reality of our story. Our story is a story of a God who gives us the faith to overcome our fear. That's bedrock. It's foundational to who we are. There were a lot of things that could have gone wrong. It was risky to move from a church building into a, who's going to want to worship in a cafeteria? And yet people came. But our fear could have prevented it from even happening in the first place. God is constantly at work helping us overcome our fear, giving us the faith to overcome our fear, whatever the fear might be. You, you may not know it from looking at me, but I am not much of a surfer. <laughs> Garrett McNamara, on the other hand, is quite a surfer. I apparently was doing a lot of work looking up world records this week. Garrett McNamara holds the world record for the largest wave surfed. In 2011, on the coast of Portugal, he surfed a 78-foot-tall wave. I'm not sure if this is a picture of the actual wave, that, but this is Garrett McNamara on a huge wave. I, I grew up on a farm in Iowa. We didn't have waves, but we had silos. One of the silos on our farm was 40 feet tall. The other one was 80 feet tall. He's riding a wave as big as the big silo on the farm where I grew up. And I don't understand, when I look at this picture, why would anyone do that? <laughs> it's risky, it's dangerous. I am uncomfortable just looking at the picture. 
That's my initial thought. And then I have a follow-up thought. How awesome must it be to be Garrett McNamara and, and to get your buddies together and say, hey, you want to know what it's like to ride an 80-foot wall of water? Sit down, boys and girls, let me tell you. I've done it. I've done it. I don't know what the future of Hope Ankeny is. I, I don't know if God have a huge wave for us or a series of ripples, but I do know God is constantly asking us to ride the wave. There's a new wave, a, a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit for us all the time. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that when we've had the opportunity, should we do what's safe? Should we do what's comfortable? Should we do what is known? Or should we take a leap of faith? This congregation has always said, let's take a leap of faith. We may not do it initially, but eventually we're always willing to take that leap of faith. And so a question we need to continually ask ourselves on a regular basis, when's the last time you took a leap of faith? When's the last time you had that sense that God was asking you to do something, uh, to say something, to start that conversation, to make that phone call, and it felt a little weird and out of your comfort zone and a little risky, but, but you did it. When's the last time you took a leap of faith? While you're thinking about that, I want to show you the rest of this video of the wave in Iowa City. Take a look. This is a tough subject for me. Nobody plans on a visit to the kids' hospital. It's just, it's, it's not something you schedule or want to go through. The Ferentz family has been through it. In 2014, Kirk and Mary Ferentz lost their granddaughter, Savvy, who was born prematurely at Iowa Children's at just over 21 weeks. We knew it, it was too early. You try to stop labor, but they were unable to. Savvy was born and um, she survived for two days. And to see my son and daughter-in-law in such pain and um, it couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything for it. That was probably the lowest moment. This past summer, Kirk and Mary made a million dollar donation to the hospital to create a program in neonatal research. After talking with Savvy's mother, Nikki, the family named the program in the baby's honor. The next couple of questions, Kirk, are hard yep. because they revolve around the origin of the donation. Yep. It's been a couple of years and um, you know, there'll always be an empty spot where Savvy was supposed to be. I mean, she's very much a part of our family, a part of our life. And I think the best thing was when I talked to Nikki. She goes, our biggest fear is that Savvy's memory will dim, and now it won't. So, when 70,000 turn away from the field and toward the windows, when they raise their arms and move their hands, it's a moment, and it means more than we know. You see it and, and the flood of people looking back at you. It was more emotional than anything, realizing that they were thinking about us. To me, it's just such a nice way for 70,000 people to recognize some really special people. The real heroes are up there. 
It's more than just a wave. It's a lot more. It's life-changing for all of the patients here. It's more than a wave, it's life-changing. And that's who we're to be as the church. We've got a mission to carry out. We've got a vision that God has given us. And as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to become that kind of a place, that kind of a community, it changes us. It's life-changing for us. And it's life-changing for the world around us. Let's read this verse together from our Bible reading today. It's on the screen. Read it with me. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. It was the Hope Leadership Conference this week, and my job was to lead a, a breakout, a, a workshop where we talked about multi-site ministry, and so I spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks thinking about the history of this place. And you don't have to spend a whole lot of time looking back at what has happened here the last 11 years to be reminded it's a God thing. I mean, we're here because of the grace of God. And it also becomes very clear that it's a priesthood of all believers thing. That's what this verse is about, the priesthood of all believers. It was a real key to the revival that we call the Reformation. In Luther's day, the mission of the church had been handed off to the professional clergy. And everybody else just kind of stood back and watched. But Luther, in part of the revival that he brought about, this Reformation, he continued to point people back to the Word of God and to passages like this, and he reminded people that over and over and over again, the way God has worked has been through unexpected people, untrained people, ordinary people, from Abraham to David to Esther to the disciples. This is the way God chose to do things, and it's how God continues to do things. He's using you, and it blows me away week after week. The way you show up and the way that you serve and invite and give and care, it's unbelievable to watch. It's unbelievable to be a part of it. God is always asking us, here's where I want you to go. When we're secure in our identity, and when we understand who we are, that we're a chosen people, we're royal priests, we're God's own possession, it sets us free to stop living for ourselves and to start living for the sake of others. What do we do when we live for others? We show them the goodness of God. We show them the goodness of God. It's the middle of October, Christmas is more than uh, two months away, but I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about Christmas at Hope. We're taking a leap of faith. And we're doing something that's kind of risky. We're having three Christmas Eve services at Wells Fargo Arena, downtown Des Moines. All the campuses of Hope are going to that, and we're planning the services together, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome day. I know that for some of you, your traditions and, and what you do around Christmas means you will be somewhere else on the 24th. We want you to know we'll have services here on the 22nd and the 23rd, and they will be great, and you will want to come, and, it'll, and you'll want to invite your friends. It'll be awesome. We'll, we'll be able to do that for people who are traveling. But I really want to cast a vision for why are we going to Wells Fargo Arena? Why, why don't we just have church here? A couple of reasons. A lot of times our fear prevents us from trying something new. Fear of what other people might think, fear of embarrassment, fear, fear of failure. Every time revival happens, it happens as God gives people faith to overcome their fear. How is it that we're actually here in this room today? Well, it's because there were people in West Des Moines 
a decade ago as that church was growing and growing and growing who stopped what they were doing long enough to listen and to notice and to pay attention if hey there's a wave here and we think maybe God's spirit is asking us to start a second campus somewhere in the metro and they prayed for a year where do you want us to do it Lord and we landed on Ankeny you know how much Ankeny has grown in the last decade this is a pretty good place to start a church and I'm so grateful that there were all kinds of people who said that's ridiculous why would you need a second campus I'm grateful there was a just a small group maybe a dozen or so faithful people who said let's do it let's ride the wave as far as it goes and there's a handful of people and it's growing who believe God is doing it again there's a new wave of God's spirit being poured out and we want to ride that wave the temptation of churches the older we get is to turn inward and to get comfortable and this is what I want and this is what feels good to me now that's not who Jesus calls us to be he's in the garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17 about to be arrested he's going to be killed and as he's praying he's praying for us I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but Jesus the world is scary and dangerous and risky save me protect me keep me safe and comfortable no Jesus says sorry it's not who the church is just as you sent me into the world I'm sending them into the world into the darkness into the broken places into the hurting places there are tens of thousands of people in central Iowa who have no idea there's a God who loves them who are wandering in the darkness and longing for some kind of light to show them a way to a new life a life of grace a life of peace a life of hope so we're taking the opportunity this Christmas to do that to reach out of our comfort zone, to be sent into the world for the sake of the people. That, that woman in that video, when that crowd waves, it's a reminder they're thinking of us. They're thinking of us. We want Central Iowa to know we're thinking of them. We're going to them to give them God's light. There's a lot of darkness in this world. Suicide and addiction and loneliness and depression. Way too much darkness. But we have the hope. We have the light that leads to hope. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor, I look across this room and I know some of your stories. I know some of the dark days that you have had to go through. I've had the privilege of praying with you in the midst of those dark days. But I also know those dark days, it hasn't been the end of your story. This is who God is. This is what God does. He calls you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Some translations say into his marvelous light. You look marvelous. Some of you are in the middle of the darkness right now, and I'm praying that God will give you the faith to believe this darkness is not the end of your story. God's calling you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. God's done it before. He can do it again. Wherever there's darkness, God shines the light of his love. Wherever there's trouble, God brings his help and his hope. Wherever there's chaos, God brings the peace that can calm the storm. God's done it before and he can do it again. He's not finished with us yet. And wherever there is hurt in this world for 2,000 years, God has been sending the church to heal a broken world in the name of Jesus. He's done it before. He can do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together.